Thank you, worship team. Uh, so here we are, finally, the last week of summer. Should I say finally? Who loves fall in here? Anybody like fall? So this last week has been like heaven for us. Um, actually, for a lot of people, today is not a necessarily a good day. They've got one more day, and then they're back to school. Uh, for us parents, it's wonderful because now we get into a structure and we can be um, excited about that and getting where we need to be rather than entertaining kids all week long, all the time. Uh, we have had, a, we've been really blessed uh, by this series this year. I have, um, I have taught this to students over the years, uh, worked through it, and it still has been so, so meaningful going through the book of First John, this letter over this summer. I find it very fitting that the last couple weeks we've had a break where a couple weeks ago we had uh, the baptism service where we came together as a body and we celebrated people's commitment to Christ and we saw this, these passages lived out um, tangibly in people's lives. Two weeks ago, or last week, we had um, Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge here sharing out of their bro brokenness and their hope what God has been doing in their lives, which also lines up with where we're going in this letter through 1 John. So I'm excited to be with you today and close up where Jason left off a few weeks ago in our series. If you would just uh, join me as I pray for our time and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your goodness to us and we're so thankful that we can be here together, that we can pray together, that we can worship you together, that we can grow together. And Father, um, as we, as we spend this time in your word, we just ask that you would be glorified, that all the praise would go to you, that you would challenge each one of our hearts in the way it needs to be challenged and help us to grow where we need to grow. God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to serve you this morning. I ask for your grace as I share. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we get started, uh, you can turn uh, to your, in your Bibles to 1 John 5, 13 through 21 is where we're going today, living in victory. As I studied this passage uh, and restudied and reread and rethought through it, I kept coming back to this idea of a Minnesota goodbye. We've been in, John, our senior rep from the congregation, our fellow believer, he's a generation, two generations, three generations ahead of some of us, and he's wanting to share with us the truth. He wants to explore and share with us who Jesus is who Jesus physically was. He wants to share the stories of times he walked with Christ, the times he um, saw Jesus go through, do amazing things, the time where Jesus suffered and died, and also Jesus' resurrection, that these were true events that really happened, and he wants to pass that on to us so we can have hope, and that we can understand the victory that we have in Christ. So as when I think of this Minnesota goodbye, I think of, um, you know how it is, you say goodbye and then it's another hug, and then another hug, and then all of a sudden there's something else that has to be thrown in there, then another hug, then something else has to be shared, and it goes on and on and on. You're, you're moving out the door slowly. Um, even though you want to be there, even if you're leaving, you kind of feel like you're backing out like this for your safety, just trying to slowly get away. I, you know, I, the first hour picked on my mom a little bit, but I love my mom. She's a hugger. How many of you are, know a hugger? Who, maybe you are the hugger where it's like, okay, there's a certain time period, and then I gotta get out of there. I just gotta be free. And uh, I just love that, and I hope my mom never stops doing it. But John's kind of given us that extra hug here 
this morning. Even as we're backing out the driveway, he's leaning in the window. Even as we're driving, he's kind of flopping off. Uh, and even as we leave, we still have to wave 20 times. And it's just this ongoing thing. But he, he knows that time is running out. And he knows that as fellow believers, there's things we need to hear. There's things we need to understand about who Jesus is and who we are in Christ and what the victory looks like. And so he just wants to keep it coming. Um, so in this passage, he's all of a sudden summarizing, okay, now remember this, 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 this as you go. Don't forget these things. So as uh, with that in our minds of the Minnesota goodbye and a great friend sharing with us, let's head into our passage today. Starting with verse 13, it says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. When you and I put our trust in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. We claim a victory. He wants us to understand John, the author of this letter, the friend of Jesus, wants us to understand who the enemy is and who the victor is. He wants us to know that what victory means for us and assure us of that victory that we have in this life, not only in the future, but today. When you and I put our trust in Jesus, we fully claim that victory and what Jesus did. That means that we are no longer under Satan's system and control, but we are now under Christ's control. Because of what was accomplished at Jesus' death and his resurrection, we are now able to live in victory and display the fruit of victory through our faith, our love, and our obedience, as Jason talked about a few weeks ago. It overflows, and we have the opportunity to live it out today. We do this understanding that it's not a one-time commitment. We don't just say, hey, Jesus, I put my trust in you and then move on with our lives. We daily have to claim the victory of what Jesus has done for us. It's not a one-time act, but a lifetime of action. We are able to do this, not in our own power, but because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. In this letter, we have the playbook for understanding the victory and what it means to live in victory. In today's verses, John wants us to really get it. He really wants us to drive it home. As we're pulling out of the driveway, he wants us to hear it one more time so that as we go on through our lives, we believe it and live it. Today, we must ask, our, ask ourselves two questions do I believe that Jesus was victorious is number one. Do I believe that Jesus was victorious? The number two question is, if I believe he was, am I living in victory? Was he victorious? Am I living in victory? Our passage this morning highlights areas that indicate a claim to victory. They describe what living in victory looks like. So as I just read, verse 13, he wants us to have an assurance of our eternal life. John doesn't want us to, as believers to miss this point, repeating it multiple times throughout this letter, three times alone in this chapter, chapter five. We can have assurance of salvation. You and I can have assurance of salvation. He doesn't want us to have any doubts at all 
but rather confident assurance. But can believers have doubts? Yes, they can. But the question I ask is why are you doubting? Why are you doubting? I have doubted in my walk with God. In fact, I find it can be very easy for believers to fall into doubt. We can easily get into situations where we doubt our salvation. I'm gonna give you a few examples. Just think about your lives as well. What are some of the things that maybe have caused you doubt in your life? Maybe some of you are doubting this morning. Uh, For example, are you wrestling with a sin struggle? When you sin, do you draw near to Jesus for forgiveness or do you move further away? And when you do go to God, if you're caught in a sin struggle or a pattern of sin, do you go to God and then go back to the sin? Do you, go, do you sin, feel guilty, then go to God, then just keep repeating that pattern as a, kind of a comfort in your life and that cycle goes on and on? That can create doubts. Have you questioned who Jesus is because of false teaching? It is as much a temptation for us today as it was for the people um, that John was speaking to thousands of years ago. We hear a message, there's different ideas out there. You can go on TV and watch a message that says, you know, if you live a certain way, God will bless you and nothing will go wrong. The prosperity gospel, there's this idea that you are saved because of your works, that the work that I do personally can build up to my salvation. If I'm nice to people, there's no reason I can't get into heaven, those kinds of things. There's these different messages that sneak through um, the true gospel and are kind of camouflaged through it, just like the time, in the times when John was writing this letter. We have the same temptations in these areas. Is your relationship with God based on feelings? We are caught up, uh, are you caught up in an experience of God rather than the truth of God? We go to a concert, we go to a conference, we go to a church service like this, looking for a mountain high experience of feelings. I've experienced situations, and many of you have as well, when doubts are based on feelings. We live in a culture today that bases our value and our truth on feelings. For something to be true, there must be an experience. And I know as a youth pastor, um, I've had this conversation over the years many times where um, a student or adult comes and they say, I was hoping to have an emotional experience at that conference or that retreat. I really was hoping to feel closer to God in that moment, and they're disappointed that that didn't happen. When it comes to our relationship with God, it is not based on feelings, but it is based on the truth and the promises that come from God, the truth of what he has done for us and his promises. It's not based on how you feel. If I eat the wrong food, I can have a funny feeling, you know, and that can mess up my whole day. That's not how we're, how we're looking at things here. Um, An example, let's take an example of marriage. I've been married for 16 years. And if Crystal loved me based on feelings and stuck around based on feelings, I'd give it maybe a week tops, and that's only because we were doing, only because we had vacation together and we were having fun together and then life 
stepped in and then the real Justin comes out and then she gets a mess and then Justin's just thankful that she made a commitment and can't run away and he got her quick enough. So, you know, that, it, worked out good, it worked out good for me but even now, 16 years later, we're fight, you know, we get into battles and we get in fights and I can be so thankful that her relationship isn't based on feelings but it's based on a commitment of love in action and that allows us to keep moving forward. You know, there's that, there's that humility and that selflessness and that love that we give each other. Um, in marriage, it's very similar to our relationship with God. We can't, just because God doesn't necessarily do the things we want or whatnot the way we want it doesn't mean he doesn't love us or care for us. So we can't base it on feelings. These are just examples, but all can lead to questioning our assurance. In my personal walk, there have been many times when I have doubted God's assurance. I've been walking with God uh, for over 20 years committed, but there's been many times of doubt. Times when I wasn't spending regular time in his word and in prayer, okay? When I wasn't focused on that relationship with him. I wasn't taking the time. There were times when I was wrestling with a sin struggle or disobedience. Sin was blocking the fellowship between us. A wall was built up and rather than going to God and confessing, which would break down the wall that was, that was already broken by Jesus, I left the wall up and didn't spend time with him, but rather kept moving further and further away, allowing the wall to grow taller and wider. When we feel the distance due to our sin, we know that it will create doubt in our eternal assurance. But we know we have assurance when we daily live by faith, put our trust in Jesus and our belief in him daily for what he's done, when we love him and love one another, and when we live in obedience to what God has asked us to do. Jason mentioned a few weeks ago uh, this idea of never has he ever felt guilt or shame or anything that has come from being obedient to Christ? And we can all agree with that. When we live for Jesus, we're never asked to do something we shouldn't do and walk away guilty or anything like that. But it produces a different fruit in us of joy and peace and purpose rather than being a life of destruction and doubt and concern um, and defeat. So we can, when we live in faith and love and obedience, we can have the assurance of our salvation. And John wants us to know with certainty and confidence that we have eternal life. We have assurance because God has given it to us through his life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus declares in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We also hear Jesus declare this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This was not a promise. It doesn't say in there in the Greek somehow you may have eternal life, uh, possibly have eternal life. It says you will have eternal life. The Bible declares that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John is speaking from truth. He knows the truth and he wants us to get the truth. We can take God at his word and have assurance of eternal life. As believers, we can persevere in our faith 
based on this truth. Living in victory means assurance. It also means trusting God through confident prayer. Follow me as I read verses 14 through 17. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin leading to death. There's an interesting passage. We're going to focus on the first couple verses of this to get started. But I like this quote from R.A. Torrey in his book, The Power of Prayer. It states, prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at our disposal in prayer. But we must use the key. We must use the key. God shows us, showed us how to pray through his life, his actions, his words throughout the Gospels. I want to give us the one example uh, from Matthew 6 to just focus on for a moment on how we should pray. When we pray, we are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And continuing, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We know this passage, many of us very well. I could have had you stand up and um, say it with me. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we live it out? Do we live it out? Do our prayers match his design for prayer? When we pray, do we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? Do we pray knowing our heavenly Father already knows what we need before we ask? Jesus didn't say, be sheepish, be bashful, be nervous, be concerned when you pray. He said, go to your Father, which is a reference of endearment and love, a Father's love. Go confidently to your daddy and talk to him. And John tells us the same in our passage today when he says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Now, some of you are probably asking, 
What's that extra detail he slipped in there? If we ask anything according to his will. Why even pray if he already knows what I'm going to ask and if I'm not going to change his answer, why pray? Are you aware that I have been praying for most of my life? Let's say 30 years. I'm a little older than that, but let's say 30 years. And most of my prayers have been focused on one thing. Can you guess what that one thing is? Yeah, it's one person, it's me, it's me. When we ask God according to his will, we are asking, I want what you want, your plan is better than mine. Many of my prayers have been, God, my will be done, do this for me, give me what I want. Could you imagine what my life would be like if God answered my prayers the way I wanted? I surely wouldn't um, be here with you probably this morning. I for sure would not be standing before you this morning because even every time somebody asked me to uh, preach, I'm like, oh no, don't make me preach. So I'm sure, but God's good and he uses it for good in my life. But I can only imagine what my life would be like. Think back to those early prayers in your teenage years. Man, I'd probably have five wives now. Um, I'd, I'd be super attractive and super athletic. Um, probably have a really good job, you know, those kind of things, but I would be empty, lost, and separate from God. So I'd have all these um, surface things, but I wouldn't have what God has thought is best for me. Think about your life. Imagine your life, what it would be like based on the prayers you've prayed in the past. When we talk to God through prayer, we don't try to pressure or coax him into giving us what we want. Rather, we talk to him about what he wants for us. He will listen and he will give clear answers. They may not be in that moment, it may not be the way you want it, but he will give clarity and he will show you what you need to know. We miss the point of relationship with God sometimes. God does love us. He truly loves us and has a plan for each one of us. He wants what glorifies himself and is for our good. He cares about us and he wants what's for our good. In our lives, praying this way can be hard. Your will be done can be a hard prayer to ask or state. When we are going through a tough time, when we are suffering, when someone close to us is suffering, Jesus gives us an example through his life. As he was going to, he knew he would be dying in the next 24 hours. And how does Jesus pray? We look at Matthew 26. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That, I share, I put it up there one time, but in that passage, he said, ends up saying that three times. Going, separating, laying before the Father, submitting to the Father and saying, your will be done, knowing that he would suffer and that he would die. And how did God, and how did God help him through that? You know, the same way he helps us. In Isaiah 40, we have the promise that he will give strength to the weary. He comes alongside and gave Jesus what he needed to get through. And Jesus also knew God's plans and purposes and saw the other side of it. Some of us, we get so caught up in this spot that we forget that God is right with us and that he has a bigger plan. 
and that the suffering, even though it seems so, so bad, is for our good in some way and for the good around us. God's got a plan. And I love that just as Jesus trusted God through his suffering, he gives us that example. And we also know that he is in heaven as an advocate now, knowing that he has gone through it as well. So when we suffer, we have a Savior who has suffered as well. That's a great hope. That's a great hope. From knowing how to pray by trusting in him, we're now called to lift others up in prayer. We are also called to pray for our fellow brothers and sisters. In 1 John 5, 16 and 17, let me reread it for you. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There's a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All righteousness, all unrighteousness is sin. And there's a sin not leading to death. I know I read that passage, read it multiple times, and even as you're hearing it, there's a lot of what is he trying to say to us? What is he trying to say? Well, the reality is Bible scholars have been asking the same questions. We look at the, com the commentaries and they say, well, we have some ideas. We have some good ideas about what this means. Um, it could be a physical death for believers. It could be a spiritual death for unbelievers. Here's some of the things that they um, say as possibilities for this one, but they, we don't have that certain answer uh, for that question. Um, the idea of Moses' sin leading to his death prior to going into the promised land, where God said, because you sinned here, you will pass before you go in the promised land. Um, we have uh, Christians in uh, the city of Corinth. Paul writes about they took communion in the wrong way, and because of that, they did pass away. Um, Ananias and Sapphira died when they lied to God. That, those are some examples of a physical, earthly death. There are other uh, scholars give ideas about um, meaning a spiritual death for unbelievers. Uh, it talks in the Bible about that one sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, continual denial of the truth, um, uh, also a person who turns against Christ. Uh, many scholars um, assume that it could be referring to people who left the church and joined the Antichrists based on this letter to John because John's writing about these certain things that would seem fitting. But we don't have the official answer to that question. But really, when it comes down to it, uh, the summary I would like to uh, bring forward is that John is saying, pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we need to focus on in this passage. When we see a fellow brother struggling with or living in sin, we should pray for them. That lines up with God's will. And we should pray confidently with assurance in God's will. God knows everyone's heart and we don't. As John says in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. So let's not stop praying for one another. Whether you see someone sinning or not, we are all in a battle. And we all have an enemy and he wants to destroy and we all, if you have put your trust in Christ, you have a target on your back. We are in a battle. Whether you see somebody uh, sinning or not, pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for each other. We need each other, and we love each other by praying for one another. How can we do this if someone is truly struggling in a sin? How do we come alongside and pray for them? 
Well, we use the example from Matthew 6. Um, I would say right off the bat, you give praise to God for that person, the work that God's been doing in that person's life, and we thank God for saving that person. We then pray for God to, through the Holy Spirit, convict our brother or sister to come to a place where they are able to um, repent or be restored in a right relationship with God. We ask that God would help them through their temptation, that he would provide the circumstances for them to be freed from that battle. We ask for God's protection from the enemy, a hedge of protection around them, their family, their home, whatever it takes. We ask for that for our brother or sister who has fallen. And what you may find, and what I have found true, is when we are praying for a brother or sister that is stumbling, that God may call you to get into battle with them, to walk beside them in the battle. So it may be that you're praying for them, but now you come alongside and say, how can, I, how can we grow together? How can we help you out of this struggle? So God may be calling you to more through that as well. Living in victory also means freedom from sin. Our verses 18 through 20 state, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Before Jesus came into our lives, we used to have a different master and although some sins can and have been miraculously removed at people's acceptance of Christ in their life, some habits die hard. Some people come into a relationship with Christ and they still have a battle to be won over their hearts and sin. And some of us fall into temptation and fall into a habit of sin after our relationship with Jesus has begun. No matter what the case, Sinful habits need to stop. As I talked about earlier, sin separates us from God. He is holy and can have nothing to do with sin. If you have a pattern of sin, you need to fight. Part of that fight is knowing that Jesus is with you and keeps you. In verse 18, let me state that again. He shows, but he, Jesus, who is born of God, keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We are protected by our victorious Savior, Jesus. He protects and gives us understanding of his truth, giving us assurance of eternal life. Through Christ, we can have freedom from sin. The evil one cannot touch you or take away your assurance. This truth should give us hope when we stumble and the strength to continue in the fight. Prior to Christ, our fallen nature ruled. We were enslaved by sin, separated from God. Now that we have claimed victory through Christ, we are a new creation, a child of God. Prior to Jesus in our lives, we had no need to fight sin, but now we are sin fighters. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 victoriously declares, therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses 
surrounding us, I put a paraphrase in there, those who have faithfully gone before us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you know that God loves you and that you have victory in God, you respond by loving in return. And if I know somebody has a perfect love for me, I go straight forward into that love and I throw off anything that is gonna hinder that relationship from growing and me getting to that victory line. Uh, we have a promise through Titus 2 that says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, the in this present age. As I've said before, we can try with all of our power on our own, but in reality it is God who gives you the power and the strength to live a self-controlled life, a sin-free life. That is a gift of God's grace through the cross for you and me. We can have that assurance and we can have that freedom because of what he did. It has nothing to do with what we do apart from him. We need to continue to trust in him and allow him to work in our lives and transform us. He empowers us through his Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us the power to overcome and we do that by spending time with him and allowing him to transform our minds and win the battle. You will do that when you're spending time in prayer, but you will do that when you're spending time in his word and finding out what God, what it really means to follow God and be obedient to him. Part of the process of finding freedom from sin is allowing fellow believers to fight with you. This is why we gather together. Even this morning, we get together to pray, we get together to worship, and we get together to fight together. We need to be in the Christian walk together. We can't do it alone, we need each other. Uh, we had uh, some encouragement this morning about the ABFs, the Adult Bible Fellowships. As was stated in that great testimony as Jason shared, if you want to grow more intentionally in your walk, if you wanna find some other believers that can walk beside you, get involved. Get involved in the body. It's gotta be more than just coming to a service. It has to be, I'm gonna get involved in an ABF and I'll, be, I'll put myself out there and love some other people and then we can dig into sin together and we can walk together. We can str the struggles may not be the same. You'll find that many of our struggles are different but the enemy is the same. So let's fight our enemy together. Let's get in it together. So next week we start our... Uh, our first Sunday, high schoolers come hang out with us. Adults go hang out with each other, but let's start digging in and let's start growing together and doing battle together. Finally, living in victory means true worship of the one worthy of it. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. As I was walking, I was at the back after the first hour, I had two people come to me with suggestions on how to use this with my intro on a uh, you know, that Minnesota goodbye. So I'll throw that in here just for some good, uh, good measure. But as we're leaving in our cars, God is saying, hey, you have a safe drive on the way home. Don't hit any deer. Look out for other cars. Be cautious. Be on your guard of the idols that are gonna come your way. This verse, um, when I read it the first time, seemed so random and kind of like, well, this is an interesting closing. He didn't say goodbye or anything. It's just, all right, 
Guard yourself from idols. It's way different than what you read when uh, Paul writes an epistle to a church. It's like he'll spend the last chapter talking about the goodbyes, make sure you say hi to so-and-so and this and this. You know, he's definitely got the Minnesota goodbye thing going on. <laughs> uh, but John here is like, I need you to hear this last thing, and it makes so much sense because this is what I've been telling you since the first moment you walked through the door when you came here. That's what this whole letter is about. It's about um, our worship. It summarizes the whole book. This statement is the whole purpose. Either you are worshiping Jesus or you are worshiping something else is what he is saying. Either you're worshiping Jesus or you're worshiping something else. So what is an idol? What is this thing that uh, we could possibly be worshiping apart from Jesus? Anything that we value more than God, it's that simple. Anything that you put ahead of God is an idol. We need to daily bring our thoughts, our actions, and priorities to God in prayer and our times in his word. God will help you and help me identify anything that we are placing above him, anything we are worshiping instead of him. If I'm reading my Bible and spending time with him, it doesn't take long for me to find out another thing that needs to get removed from my heart and get worked on. We need to daily bring it to him. What are the idols that you are tempted by or are worshiping today? Think about your lives. I want us to take a test. Uh, let's just take a moment to think about our lives. And as I'm going through some of these examples, I would ask you to just pray to God and say, hey God, is there anything that I've put in front of my relationship with you? Is there anything that I've put there? And God, will you help me? Will you provide the answers for how I can make you number one again in my life? There's three things I want us to uh, think about in our lives. Let's focus on our time, our talents, and our treasure. All right, those th the three T's here. And let's start with time. How do you spend your time? What are your excuses to not have enough time for God? How does God fit into your time? Uh, for many of us, it could be that I fill up my time with other people and the approval of other people. I wear myself out to idolize the approval of other people. For you young people, it could be I spend a lot of time, maybe way too much time with friends because I want their acceptance, and then by the end of the night, I just don't have enough time to spend with God. Um, this um, this uh, two days from now, our middle school, high schoolers start school at 7.35ish. And, uh, it's gonna be a very good ex easy excuse to say, I just can't get up any earlier. I need all the sleep I can get before I start my day of school so I don't have time to spend it with God. And then vice versa, because the day is, um, because I have to get up that early, I gotta get to bed at a certain time and don't have enough time to spend time with him there either. Um, it's an easy thing uh, for us, sleep and rest can be an idol if we place it on, as an excuse above our relationship with God. Um, I think of uh, entertainment, Netflix, uh, it could be sports, watching sports, participating in sports, it could be uh, video gaming, if you think about it, but you know, that whole idea of Netflix, man, you get me a good documentary on Netflix, I'll be gone for three hours and nobody even knows I've been gone and all of a sudden I realize, oh, I have a, I have a family, I have, um, I have a God I should be worshiping, I have so many other things, I have a job to do, you know, all these things. Have you guys seen that documentary on the West yet on uh, Netflix? It's, good. it's a good one. Get on that one. But take your time and be wise with it. Um, your cell phone, your social media, 
These things can just take up time. And they will, they, they will just push God right out the back. If I'm spending time on my devices and entertainment, how am I spending my time? Our second area, our talents. What are your motivations? Who gets the glory for your talents? God or you? I have to wrestle with just the fact that I'll walk out of this door at the end and you guys will come up and say, hey, good job. And I have to, I have to then, even before I start this thing, am I doing it for myself? Or am I doing it for uh, the worship of God? I have to make those decisions because I automatically want the worship for Justin. I automatically do, hands down. Who's in control? Whose approval are you working for? Um, has the things you excel in become the idol? You're so good at something. God has gifted you in such a way that it overtakes everything, and all of a sudden, that thing that you were worshiping God through, all of a sudden becomes the idol because now it's about that. That's about my future, it's about everything. It has to do with this one thing rather than God being a part of it with me. How about your treasures? And that can be, you know, that can be, you know, the Bible talks about idols being little statues and that kind of stuff. I know people that can collect things, that that can be a treasure that you place before God. Um, our financial resources, how are we using it? Is it all about me? Is it about others? How am I, um, how am I giving? Um, how am I spending my money? Is it on material things? Uh, the latest things? Um, when I'm struggling and I'm having a hard time, do I run to food and I gotta go get some f- more food? That kind of thing, is that, that can be, food can be a treasure that comforts us. Um, our fashion, our appearance, how, how people, uh, see us can become the idol. Everything we do is for the approval, once again, for others. Our vehicles, our homes, it could be travel. Where is, you, where is your idol? Where is, the, is there anything that's in the way of between you and God? Or is he in it with you? Um, I have been and am currently guilty as well on this list. Um, but we can all be thankful that we are declared righteous at, when we accept Jesus into our lives but then he continues to sanctify us and grow us and change us and transform us as we continue to spend time with him, he will take his word and he will slowly just start cutting these, these things out of our lives, these idols, he will remove them if we allow him to. How does Jesus fit into your life? If we have claimed the victory, our lives should be different than our neighbors. How are we different? Luke 9, 23 through 25 states, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? What good does it do for us to gain what belongs to the enemy, the whole world? To close, in John's letter, he shows us a clear picture of Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He came to earth, he showed us who God is, he taught us how to live, he took our place on the cross and died for us, Three days later, he rose victoriously, conquering death, and gave us victory. And today, he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, and one day, he is coming again. For those of us who have put our trust in him, 
We must choose today to live in victory, to walk boldly in assurance of our salvation. We must trust God through our confident prayer. We must walk freely, not chained down by sin. And finally, we must worship the one who is worthy of it, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for your presence with us today. We thank you once again that we had the opportunity to, to go through this letter from the Apostle John, a friend of yours. Father, we are so thankful for the messages and the challenges and the way we've grown through this, through the words of encouragement. And Father, I pray that my words this morning were words of encouragement to us as victors. God, help us to take hold of it, help us to make the changes that need to be changed in our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit, and God, help us to help each other, help us to walk in battle side by side to find the victory and to live in victory. Father, we give you the glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.